Hey there, welcome to the Mint Measure podcast, where we cover everything related to attribution, incrementality, and marketing analytics. Here we go. Today, we're going to be talking about how to run a great programmatic campaign. Jonathan Dick, who's the director of programmatic at InOcean, is here to be our subject matter expert. So we're going to be talking about all things, what DSPs to use, what makes a good programmatic campaign good, and how to do that. Um, talk a little bit about trading. Uh, we're very fortunate. John, thanks for joining us. Yeah, th- thanks for having me on the show, guys. Uh, Scott, Brandon, really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, always respect what you guys are doing. So happy to help out. Well, great. Thanks. Uh, well, John, why don't you give us a little bit of background um, about what you do, how long you've been trading, and, and kind of what you do day, day to day. Sure. Okay. I, I'm the director of programmatic for Inotion. Um, it's worldwide, but I run the, the programmatic team for the, the Canada office. So we have uh, six programmatic people that report to me in our ad ops team. Um, and we run, you know, 20 to $30 million of media a year in, in programmatic um, between our different clients. Um, we're largely automotive. Um, we are owned by the same parent company that owns Kia and Hyundai. So they will always be our, our top client, but we do have other clients and we, we do a great job on them as well. Um, how long have you been in programmatic? Uh, about 12 years, I guess. Uh, I was in programmatic before it was called programmatic. It was just called buying and selling media back when I started. So yeah. suddenly it became a career, which is great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, how did you get into this? Um, I know that you know for myself, it was around maybe 2015 or so that like getting your hands on a keyboard and starting to trade was like yeah. starting to become a thing. So yeah, how did you get into it? Uh, a buddy of mine that I worked with at a telecom startup um, went to an ad tech in Israel, loved it, and thought he wanted to start his own company. So he liked he liked working with me. He he knew I was good with with Excel and and figuring things out. And so he brought me on board and brought me to to ad tech down in uh, New York a few times. It was a, a very exciting world. Um, and back then it was a little bit of the wild west. There was a platform called Right Media. What was unique about it was that when you put an ad in the network, um, you would get to decide what kind of ad it was, you know, so you could label something that was adult, you could label as entertainment. And similarly with websites, you could have some very sketchy websites, people could label it whatever they wanted. They didn't have any kind of third party to check it and make sure. So as a result, um, there is no, there is very little brand safety for advertisers and even less for public. Um, so there's a lot of problems with that. And then a guy by the name of Brian O'Kelly went and started AppNexus. Uh, he, he left right me to start AppNexus and it cleared up all those problems and kind of with it was the death knell for right media, I think. So it, and and they made some some huge strides there, which really changed things. Yeah, so it's really fun to see how the ecosystem has evolved, and you know what's kind of you know what are the top platforms these days. So you know, on that note, what platforms or DSPs do you currently use, and which ones have you used in the past? Yeah, I mean, currently we're we're mainly using DB three sixty. It, it definitely makes things easier for sure, and it can kind of do everything. It's not like there's something it can't do. It, and then it's just a matter of what other platforms do you need. So, so we add other platforms. We look for things that what can you do that DB60 can't do. So Yahoo's platform is a great example because they have some targeting that nobody else has. Um, they have some really good stuff. Uh, the Trade Desk has some really unique options. There's a lot of good platforms. I mean, Amazon has such a rich amount of data. You know, they, they all have kind of a purpose. So. Those are kind of some of the platforms that we use and we have used in the past. Those are kind of the main ones. Um, in terms of what I've used in the past, different agencies, like I, I don't know if there's any platforms I haven't used. I'm sure there's some, but 
I've used them all. I've, I've used, you know, the, the Oath, Verizon, and uh, Adobe, and uh, everything. Um, yeah, I, I've probably been on 20 different platforms in my, in my time. Like, they're still going. And a, a number that are now defunct. Right. Yeah. It feels like every year there's a new DSP that turns up and, you know, maybe it succeeds and it's around in two years and maybe it folds up. Yeah. I mean, the, the big trend that we've seen is a lot of um, publishers that have their own inventory are now trying to create their own DSP. And, and that's a tough go because... It, you really need something special to invest in another DSP because on top of the legal issues, the finance issues, you've also got to train your team to, to learn how to use that DSP. And it's, it's more likely that you're going to have errors when you have a platform people aren't familiar with. And then with higher turnovers than we've seen recently, that means you got to bring people in that aren't from these platforms and train them up. And there, there's, there's more room for error there. So for a DSP to really succeed, they need to bring something special and, and unique to the marketplace. Yeah, that's interesting. And it's, I think, something that a lot of people don't necessarily consider, you know, particularly about like bringing stuff in-house, right? Like there's the time that's required to learn the platform, train up the team and, you know, making sure that you're using the right DSP for that. Absolutely. I mean, a lot of advertisers are bringing people in-house, which is great. But I think what, what you see is that you're not running the, the full gamut of campaigns and platforms and strategies that you would if you're dealing with multiple clients. And so when, when a company brings people in-house, they're very good at doing exactly what that client wants, but they, they tend to get a little bit more repetitive. They find out what works, they stick with it. And they don't have the knowledge of all the other things going out there. So that's kind of the trade-off of bringing the people in-house is you're not getting the, the full benefit of, you know, someone who's running campaigns for 20 different advertisers with, with every platform and every strategy out there. Yeah, it sounds like there's some efficiencies of scale that you would miss out on running a like a buying team or a media team in-house in addition to also being trapped in this echo chamber of not seeing you know, maybe what other people are doing differently, that something new that unlocks greater efficiency that you probably wouldn't think to do yourself if you just have your in-house team. Exactly. Um, and I think, you know, career-wise for those people looking for programmatic careers, I would say an agency environment is a lot better than being on the buyer side for that reason is you're just going to learn so much more on the agency side than you are if you're working directly for the advertiser. Right. And that diversity of campaigns and goals and having to optimize the different campaigns differently, like really gives you a good lay of the land in a way that working on one brand and one campaign and one KPI, um, you know, you just don't get the same exposure. Yeah. Now, the other side of that, though, is when you are working specifically on one client, you can really dig deep. I mean, some clients I've worked on with agencies, I mean, their goal is is CTR, and that's as deep as they'll go. Uh, they won't even place pixels. And so there's not much you can do with that. Whereas when you're on the client side, you can really dig deep. You can do things like CRM and all kinds of things that, that you wouldn't get to touch when you're, you're dealing with 20 clients. So that is kind of the, the pros and cons of it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, maybe the career advice for someone like early in their career is try to spend, you know, one to three years in both, maybe find out what you like more, maybe what you're better suited for, and then go exploit, but try to capture the learnings of both because it sounds like there's a lot of unique learnings that are exclusive to working in-house or with an agency. Um, back sure. to DSPs, uh, just to like round out that bit, um, how have you found that like picking the right DSP for a campaign or a brand specific needs uh, can like make or break running a great campaign. Yeah. I, I mean, like 
DSPs are tricky because it, there's different goals. One is just one reason you pick it is how familiar are your traders with the DSP, and that is kind of the default reason more often than not. If there's a, a DSP you're not as familiar with, even though it might be good, if you don't have the team that's familiar with it, you're adding a lot of risk into that equation. Um, some DSPs are great and will pretty much offer to to double check everything you do and help you set it up. Um, we work with a DSP called Bid Collect, and they're really good for that. They will double check everything. They will help people out. So it gives you sort of a, a comfort level there for sure. So that's kind of a big part of it in terms of, you know, why you would pick one DSP over another. A big part of it is the, the targeting abilities that are that are available. As I've said, DB360 is, is great for that, but there are other DSPs that have things that they can't do. Um, Amazon is, is amazing. So for instance, previously I've run car campaigns that the you know, had had to go out to existing you know car owners like Toyota owners or or Hyundai owners or whatever it is. And Amazon's great for that because they have this Amazon Garage that lets you target users based on what type of car they own, which is which is something we can't do in DV360. So that's that's great. So it really varies. I mean, DV360 for I think for a lot of agencies is kind of the default. And then going outside of that is usually you need something else, some sort of targeting, some inventory you can't get somewhere else. Look, in a lot of agencies, there's deals that are made, though. They'll say, hey, we're going to give you a lower platform rate if you hit this goal. I mean, that's very common in the industry. So sometimes those deals will be made. Usually it's it's above board. But, you know, I think in the past, there, there's been instances of agencies getting a kickback if they hit certain spend levels um, with, with a, a DSP. So yeah, and, a, and that isn't shared back to the client. Yeah. So there's like this moment in maybe like 2016 to 2018. I remember where like there were a lot of these bad behaviors and a lot of these kickbacks and like under the table deals that brands really started becoming savvy and started figuring out like, wait, 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 hold on. Yeah. You're doing what with my money? You're, you're pushing it to a place that like maybe is okay, but there's a better option, but you're, you have a financial incentive. So yeah, I, I know that from my agency days, like there were a lot of agency contracts where the client would say like, you're not allowed to take rebates or if you do get a rebate, it comes to us. Yeah. Or you know, some other sort of fiduciary kind of responsibility. There. Yeah, so it, it's cleaned up a lot. Um, I, I think a lot of agencies now take take a lot of pride in being transparent um, and making sure that's all above board. But even so, there there's there's still deals that exist um, between agencies and vendors in terms of if they hit certain goals, they'll get something in return. And I don't know that that's always shared with a client because. Sometimes it's not client specific. If you have 20 clients on that DSP, right. who are you giving the money back to? And, and usually it's just going back to agency. And part of that, honestly, is driven by the fact that a lot of the big advertisers will put agencies in this bidding war to the point where the agencies are making no money or breaking even or even losing money on a, a client because they want that win. So they right. have to get creative in how they kind of get some of that money back. And I'm not speaking of my own agency. My own agency is totally different. We have an amazing relationship with the client. but other agencies that you know, I, I've seen do do have that issue. Yeah, I mean it's a classic agency squeeze, um, and everyone it's a race to the bottom. So, um, yeah. cool. Well, let's let's talk about kind of like the the core topic for today, which is anybody can run a programmatic campaign, pushing the buttons, clicking the things, setting up a campaign. Anybody can do that, but running yeah. a great campaign is extremely difficult. Do you agree? And like, give us your thoughts on that. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the, the DSP is trying to make it easy for you. They have this machine learning and they say, hey, you know what? Just set it. The machine will figure it out. 
you don't have to do anything. Just set it and forget it. That's that's what we hear. And so a lot of times, like your the experts, the DSP will say, listen, putting a bunch of targeting in there will not help your campaign because the machine will figure it all out. And that's true. But what they don't tell you is it's going to take several hundred thousand dollars for them to do all the learning to get to the point where it's that efficient. If you know the audience, if you know what works, you can give it a huge head start on the learning. Like if you're selling cosmetics, you can kind of default and say, you know what, we're going to target women. That's a fair thing. You don't need to spend $25,000 for the machine learning to figure out that, that women are better to target than men. It's right. There's no need for that. And so I, I think as you get familiar with the client and the results, you can get a lot more of those, those head starts. You don't need to have a wide open targeting and let the machine do the learning. Um, so that's a big part of it. Another big part of co course is just the optimization strategies that you put in place. You know, you can have, you know, what we like to do is at the kind of at the budget level, we'll have 10 different strategies and we'll right. let them all run and then we'll see what's the most efficient and then we'll adjust the budget accordingly. So, so that involves looking at reports weekly, seeing what's working, what's not working, where we need to shift budget. I mean, look, there's a million ways to optimize. And, and before my agency world, I used to work in more of the the CPA world where we would get offers from, you know, different CPA, uh, CPA shops right. and you would have to make it work. And it was fascinating because you'd get something that, that paid you $5 for every download, for instance, and you'd right. run the campaign with your strategies. And if week one, you got an $8 CPA, well, that meant you're going to make a lot of money because that's before any optimization, you were so close to being profitable. And once you pull those levers, like reducing frequency, finding the right ages, you know, finding the, the sites that work best, getting rid of the sites that don't work, you can make that that profitable again. Now, the agency world, it's very different because the budget comes first. In the agency world, the, the, the number one thing is, is is spend the full budget. That's the goal. That's where the, the DSPs are set up. So there's never a situation where you say, we're going to spend as much as we can with a $3 target. That never happens. It's more like, we're going to spend the $200,000 and with with that spend, we're going to get you the lowest CPA that we can. It, that's how it works. So th there's a lot of things you can do. Like, like one of like the biggest thing I think, though, is understand the KPI. That is the, the biggest thing you can do. A lot of times there's a mismatch between what the advertiser is trying to achieve and what your digital KPI is, because you need something you can measure. You need something you can optimize to. So if their goal is brick and mortar sales, there's not a lot you can do there in terms of matching up with that. So you need a proxy. And, and the idea is you find something that is a good proxy for your brick and mortar sales. Now, the easiest thing to measure is clicks, of course, and clicks are a terrible proxy for that. <laughs> so you want to move as close to possible to that brick and mortar sale as you can. So if it's something like, you know, find a location or, you know, they've, they've, they've clicked to find out what the price is or something, then you're moving a little bit closer. If they've spent like 30 seconds on the website, you're getting a little bit closer. So the biggest advice I give to advertisers that are just starting on programmatic is move away from clicks and at the very least optimize towards landing page views, at the very least. What that will do, so the thing about clicks is that there is more fraud in clicks for sure, and, and it's debatable as to how much. But the other thing is a lot of clicks come from mobile apps. And the thing about mobile apps is that they're very easy to misclick. You're playing a little game, an interstitial comes up, you go to close it down, you don't hit it right in the middle, you're going off to another site. The well, that's is like three pixels wide. Yeah, that's yeah. that's the <laughs> click. You know, somebody's somebody's cashing in, right? And if yeah. if you're optimizing to click, you're telling the machine learning to say, hey, we want more traffic just like this. This is great. Get us more. And then when you look at your URL report and your app report, it's 90%, you know, uh, words with friends or something, right? Which just doesn't make any sense for, for what you're trying to do. 
Tell you what, I want to ask a question here because, you know, okay. optimizations on the DSPs has certainly changed over time. I think, you know, from when I first traded my first campaign in 2015 to today, like ML is just worlds apart. How much do you trust ML? How much do you trust these platforms? And like, how do you kind of manage that with your team? Yeah, like I say, machine learning has its place for sure. It, it does. Every platform is different. And I would say that three out of four tech vendors that come to me and say, we have this unique machine learning that's better than everybody else's. And then they have this <laughs> elaborate explanation of why it's better. And look, from uh, from my point of view, it doesn't matter what the explanation is. Like, I'm not going to believe it. If, if they seem credible, I'll give them a trial and see what happens. But it, there's really no way you can invest a lot of money in somebody says, they have the best algorithms. But in terms of like the bigger platforms, like your, your, your trade desk and, and Yahoo and, and you know, DB360 in terms of machine learning, like I say, it does work. It does work over time. I mean, you set your goal, it will optimize towards that goal. But if you don't have the right goal set, it doesn't matter. It's, it's not gonna it's not gonna work well. So you gotta have the right goal set for sure. And then the other thing is, like I say, you can't just leave it wide open like they want. Like, they would like that, of course, because that means you're spending a boatload of money to, to optimize. And, you know, just when you're ready to pull it off, they say, look, it's getting better. Spend more money. But you, you don't need to. You, you don't need to waste all that money in learning when you know what works. And one of the biggest pieces of it is maybe the, the first campaign you run, you, you run it fairly wide open. You make a couple assumptions. But then you, at the end of the campaign, you run a bunch of reports. You see what works. You say, oh, this, this age works really well look, 80% of our sales are within the 18 to 34 bucket. And you can just kind of find patterns. And then the next campaign you start, you can start off with much more of a head start than the first campaign. So I think that's an important part of optimization is just kind of getting better each campaign, finding those learnings and insights and applying them to the next campaign and just keep going down that path. Yeah, I really like that, the focus on optimization. I also really like what you were saying around like, Find your KPIs up front, align on that, and make sure they're aligned with the goals of the business and not just like the easiest high level thing to track. What other things would you say like characterizes a great programmatic campaign that makes it different from like a poor average programmatic campaign? I mean, the, the worst programmatic campaigns are just you set it up, you let the machine learn it go, your hands off, you don't do anything. In terms of a good programmatic campaign, like number one thing they look at is performance. What is the performance of this campaign? Okay, so so that's that's really important, um, and, and that's going to kind of make or break you in terms of renewing the client if you're in that type of agency. But it's not the only thing. So let me give you an example here. Let's say you're running a YouTube campaign, and your goal is a low cost per point of view. So the easiest way to achieve that is to have almost no targeting on the campaign at all. And just run it and aim for a low cost per view. Well, you're going to get great results. Hey, congratulations, you got a one cent cost per point of view. But some of that inventory is, is going to be targeting kids' content, which is totally irrelevant to your, your clients. Some of it is going to be other content that just makes no sense for what you're trying to promote. So you can go in and exclude all that stuff. You can exclude the contents using a series of keywords. You can exclude a bunch of the content. And suddenly it comes back, and now your cost per point of view is 1.5 cents. And the advertiser says, well, the campaign's a lot worse now. You guys have screwed up. What did you do? It, it's not just about the performance. It's about more than that. Sometimes there is a, a narrative that goes with it, um, a, a deeper understanding that that not all completed views are the same, not all clicks are the same, and in some cases, not all conversions are the same if if that conversion is not the final endpoint. So it's not just about quantity. It's also about the quality. But that's hard to define 
in an end of campaign report. And if you're too focused on the data, if you're too focused on seeing the graph go, go down and down and down in terms of your efficiency, then you're going to lose sight of that. You're, you're going to miss out on that and you're going to do the easiest thing that satisfies that requirement and you're not going to do the advertiser a service. Yeah. And I think like, you know, part of what I'm hearing is like bringing the client along on that journey, right? Like that example that you gave of the one cent to the one and a half cent, if you bring the client along and say, hey, so we added these, we did this and we expect the cost to go up and just managing some of those expectations and like exactly. telling that story, yeah, like that goes a long way in saving headaches, right? It's a lot easier to proactively say something and then have it happen. And then you can say, yeah, see client, I told you costs would go up versus if you don't bring the client along in that journey, it doesn't really matter what you say at the end of the campaign. Exactly. It's going to feel like you're playing defense to that client. Yeah, they're it, gonna be like, that, that's exactly it, right? If you, if you tell them in advance and they know when they predict and they agree with it, then you're ready. But if you have worse results, you haven't prepared them for it. Whatever you say is just going to sound up like some sort of made up excuse. Like you're just you have no idea what it is and you're just pulling stuff out of the air. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, you work on the programmatic team and there's obviously like certs and social and other, other channels. So how do you like measure results across channels? How do you like work with some of these other teams? Yeah. I mean, we have an analytics department that does that. So I don't do that specifically, but we generally use Google analytics to measure a lot of this stuff. It has its strengths and weaknesses for sure. And in terms of, you know, which channels are most effective, I mean, that's, that's always a challenge. I think every agency has that challenge. And I mean, this is why I like you guys so much is, is you guys are the answer to that challenge. <laughs> um, but um, the thing about programmatic is, Usually when you're using Google Analytics, the default attribution model, and I know you guys hate that word, but that, that's what it is, is last click, okay? Mm -hmm. So la last click is, is great for some things. It's great for immediate purchases. Wonderful for that. But if it's the kind of thing where, let's say, for instance, uh, we're using programmatic to find new people, bring them into the cycle, they look at stuff, and then when they're ready to buy, what do they do? They, they go to Google and they search. So search is going to get all the credit for that, which is what often happens. And so last click, I think, is really good for measuring people who are going to buy your product anyway. That's what it's great for. But right. in terms of finding people that didn't know about your product, that were maybe looking at some other things, it, it, it's not as good. I mean, and, and search excels at taking credit for people who are on their way to buy your product. I mean, that's what search is great for, um, at least in the branding. Now, I mean, there's also, you know, search where they go into the, the competitive and, and the conquest and where they're not going after the brand per se, but they're going for people that are interested in the market in general. And that's where search really, I think, brings its value. Programmatic, we don't do a lot of the finding people that are on their way to buy the product. I mean, retargeting certainly does that. So it's people that are like, they're open to buying the product and they need that reminder as opposed to on their way to buy it. So that's where kind of retargeting does well. So retargeting is like in terms of conversion campaigns where there's like an actual purchase or those sort of things, I'd say retargeting produces 90 to 95% of the conversions with much less value than the prospecting portion. But prospecting is so hard to measure because prospecting is the one that made them go into Google and do that search in the first place. I mean, it's no different than, than TV and billboards. Like we can't measure the value of these, but we know they're working at some level. Right. And that's that's the challenge. Like, how do you know somebody saw the ad, you know, three weeks ago that they, they looked at it and they thought about it and then they maybe they did some separate research and maybe they 
they, eventually they went to Google and did their search and they, they bought the product. Well, programmatic prospecting won't get any credit for that. So that's why prospecting, you have to kind of assume that those, those clicks or those landing page views are some sort of proxy um, for a purchase, like a small percentage of that, um, rather than you, you can't really attribute that to a purchase. There's no way to do it. So you just have to kind of go back and say, okay, every click is going to result in, you know, 0.015 sales. And that's what you have to do. And I don't know that it's perfect. I'm sure you guys have a better way to do it. But um, <laughs> prospecting is, is, is tough to, to deliver that attribution, which is why usually with prospecting, your goal is something much more upper funnel. It's like a landing page view or a click or something because it's really hard to tie those together. Yeah, I'd say that the way that we find, at least the best way that we know of to show the value of those, you know, like impression-based or prospecting campaigns is showing how something like programmatic will lift conversion rate when it's added with search or social and showing that the channel contributed to that. But, you know, being the state that like most people are just working in Google Analytics, you know, like search and social definitely get, you know, have an easier time being evaluated within that last click attribution model, you're probably a veteran of like what must be an uphill battle for you. Like, I think this is something that a lot of people we hear talk about would be really interesting to hear your insights on like, how have you managed that uphill battle? Like, how do you manage what must sometimes feel like always playing defense, trying to defend your value when the other channels, uh, you know, get credited with a lot more and probably some of the work that you're doing? I'm not going to speak about, you know, what we're doing at a notion, but in terms of previous agencies, it, that's always a battle. I mean, when Google Analytics goes and they, they pull it back and say, look, search is delivering 90% of the conversions, it makes it tough to justify putting more money into programmatic. Absolutely. But I think that you just need to have that conversation and, and you know, like re retargeting always holds its own. Like we don't have a problem there. The thing is most advertisers have Every, every channel and strategy has its own function, right? So they'll, they'll buy digital out of home. They'll buy print. They'll, they'll buy TV. And, and they're not getting any metrics back to say, hey, this is resulting in so many conversions. So I think if, you know, a prospect is kind of put in those, in those same buckets, they kind of get it, right? It's about raising awareness. It's about driving them into the retargeting funnel. So I, I think they get it for the most part. It's just important that we don't set up with the expectation of comparing, you know, programmatic prospecting to to search, you know, branded search. It just doesn't make any sense. But if we want to compare, you know, programmatic prospecting to search prospecting, sure, let's let's do it. But but oftentimes they're just kind of lumped together and the prospecting will kind of bring down the overall performance, whereas search might be more focused just on the branded search or you know really relevant search with, with a smaller budget. So but eventually search runs out of budget it can take effectively. There's a, a quote, I don't know if it's by Albert Einstein or who, but it's like, if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it will live its entire life believing it is stupid. And I, I love that. And I've used that with, with clients before. You, know, you can't judge prospecting on the same metrics and on the same function as search or social. Um, you know, they, they do have different roles. And like, you know, if you're judge, trying to judge connected TV or digital video on last click conversions, like you're, yeah, you're going to have yeah. a bad time. Yeah, no, exactly. So, so that's what it is. And I think um, most advertisers get that. I think they, they understand that there's always one person there who's just looking at the spreadsheet and says, search has this CPA, programmatic has this CPA, let's cancel programmatic. 
like over time, I think as more millennials get into more senior roles and like they've been around and they've seen how digital works, that these conversations of, of you know, trying to judge prospecting and search uh, along the same lines, I, at least I've seen they've become fewer. They're certainly still around there. There's, you know, there's some, some old school thinking. Um, have you seen kind of like that change over time where people are generally like more understanding or understand the roles and functions of each channel? Not really. I think it's more to do with, with people change over time, but I think there's always kind of new people coming in the industry and understanding it. And, and the initial thing is let's look at the data. Let's look at the spreadsheets without kind of the, the full understanding of how it all fits together. And just over time, clients mature, they get more sophisticated, they kind of understand these things. But I know for me, like I, I love spreadsheets and data myself. And I, I love to say this, these are the facts, but it's not that simple. It, it's not that simple to just say, hey, this got more conversions, this got less, this is better. Like it's just, it's not, it doesn't work like that. There was a guy, I, I think who made a presentation, I think it was from Rocket Fuel, but I could be wrong. So apologies to whoever came up with this, this story. But the story was, this guy goes to Ibiza and he wants to be a DJ. So he goes to the club owner and says, I want to be a DJ. And, and the, the owner gives him these, these 50 coupons for a $5 discount at the, the door to the club. And he says, okay, go out, make sure 50 people come to our club. These all have your name on them. Go out there, distribute these. If you get 50 people this month, you can be a DJ. So he goes out all around the island and he's hustling and he's working hard. And only six people that take the coupon end up going to the club. Mm -hmm. And so he goes back and says, oh, you know, the guy's like, well, you're not going to be a DJ, but I'll give you one more chance. So he gives the guy 50 coupons again. And this time, instead of going out across the island, he stands right in the entrance of the club and just hands it to everybody who's coming in anyway. And they all take their $5 discounts and they all go in and he gets credit for all these things and it gets to be a DJ. And that is basically, you know, a lot of what we see in other channels and retargeting and, and search are kind of the same. They get a lot more credit than they deserve. Um, meanwhile, there's all these other guys hustling out there doing the work that really don't get that credit. Right. So right. it was a great analogy and sorry to whoever made it up that I stole, but I've tried to reference as best of case. Yeah, no, that's a great story. And it really helps to kind of illustrate like the role of prospecting versus, you know, tactics that are just right there before that that moment of purchase. One other thing that's useful for it is uh, Google is able to do kind of this, this search increase study, right? So you can kind of look, you can give them a set of keywords, and then they can tell you, hey, this, this keyword has gone up 15% since you started the campaign. So I really like that for prospecting, especially for video. I think it's a really good tool to kind of have to kind of show how much extra interest are we driving in these products. Yeah, um, I think that's like... A really interesting topic. So, you know, you you mentioned earlier that if you're not driving an actual sale on on the campaign, that getting your KPI as close to that metric or that that conversion action as possible. But you know, there's lots of other proxies and other ways to help support or gauge the success of a campaign. Um, keywords trends are, are certainly one of them. Brand lift studies. Um, are there any other like ways that you help? your clients approximate or understand the impact? Those are kind of the main ones. And then of course there's actual physical sales too, right? Um, those are great. I mean, we can, we can see that it's working. It is hard to kind of link it to a channel though. That's the only problem, but yeah, those are, those are kind of all, all the main ones I think we use. Um, causal impact studies are used to some degree as well. So yeah. Programmatic traders are in high demand. 
They, they get paid a lot of money. Uh, it's a skill set that takes a long time to learn. So from your perspective, like what makes a good media trader and how do you go from like good to great? Um, no, that's a great question because uh, I, I do a lot of hiring. I'm, uh, I actually have two interviews on Friday that I'm doing. So um, the, the biggest things I look for, so a lot of times when you're hiring programmatic people, they get people that have you know got their marketing degrees or this or the other, but I don't really care about those things. Uh, those things can be taught and picked up pretty easily. Mm-hmm. The number one thing for me is a really strong grasp of Excel. That's number one for me. Um, just being able to track all the budgets, you know, look at the optimizations, look at performance, being able to do that independently in Excel, being able to do like VLOOKUPs and all the kind of thing is just invaluable to me. So right. that's the number one thing I look for like during the hiring process for sure. Um, oh man, maybe I could be a programmatic trader. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then in terms of, but beyond that, I mean, being a good communicator obviously is, is very important. And by being a good communicator, I don't mean that they need to be, you know, born in London, England. I mean that they need to be able to kind of be proactive and say, hey, this campaign is likely to get a bit worse if we double the budget. Like just give people a heads up if they're expecting certain things to happen. As we talked about earlier, you know, performance is going to go up or down. But I think if the client is anticipating it to go down and you've outlined the reasons why, they get it a little bit more, right? Um, Right. So that's good. You know, and and mistakes do happen. Mistakes happen in, in programmatic and you know, there's there's two types of people. There's the people that try to cover it up, and there's the people that say, hey, I messed up, I need some help, what can we do? It's not just about the people, it's also about the kind of environment that you you create. And if you create an environment where you say, listen, we understand mistakes happen, if, if they happen, let me know, we'll fix them together, that person's much more likely to come to you. But if you have the kind of environment where one more mistake and your ass is out of here, well, they're going to cover that up, and they're going to make the problem so much worse, right? Which is, you know, what you see happening when, when you have a very high-pressured situation, which which happens in some agencies, not ours, but other agencies. That's a really important thing, just so they're able to kind of do that and communicate. Attention to detail, of course, is really important in programmatic. And the thing for me is I understand mistakes happen. It's a very manual process. Mistakes happen. Trackers don't get updated. Sometimes the wrong creative gets in there. And, and that's fine. But what you need, though, is you need a process to go and double check the setups pretty easily. So what we do a lot of times is we'll download the SDF file on Google and we'll kind of compare that. And it's a quick way to kind of look at all the campaigns and see that everything matches the way it should. So you you need those processes to kind of go in and check and make sure everything's correct. And you need someone who's willing to do those, those weekly reports. And sometimes those weekly reports are really boring. If there's no errors to find, it's kind of boring. But you need to stick with it and do it and catch those errors. And obviously, and I don't think this is unique to programmatic, but somebody who's a hard worker is obviously a good thing because it's really easy to just set up the campaign, forget about it, especially when you're working from home. You can watch Netflix all day, and if no emails come in, well, you don't have to do any work that day. But a good programmatic trader will check the campaigns. They'll see, is it pacing well? Are we on track? Is the performance looking good? How come these three line items are falling behind? What can we do here? Um, and kind of bring those things up, right? So being a bit proactive in terms of finding errors, in terms of getting more efficient is always good. So, yeah, those so kind I of the- would actually add to that is yep. curiosity. Yeah. You know, asking why, like, hmm, that seems weird. Hey, yeah. that's off. Hmm, it, let me, no, let me double click, go a little bit deeper. What's causing this? Why is this happening? What could be done? And so, sort of like that curiosity, I think, you know, for anything that's analytical, it's an invaluable attribute to like really, you know, do great work.
Yeah, I mean, curiosity, that's not just for trade. That's if you're going to the next level. Like the trader, if they're just doing the, the above things, I'm happy. But yeah, if, they, if they're curious and they want to go to the next level, then that's like that's management stuff, in my right. opinion. That's that's when I kind of, you know, then they go a notch higher. And it's 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 hard when you don't have that kind of knowledge. You need a certain level of knowledge before you can get curious. You need to recognize what are the red flags, what are the things that stick out here, right? And like if you're getting a 10 cent uh, cost per click on a campaign, that should be a red flag. Something's really weird here. And you know, right. if that happens, it's probably you forgot to put the geotargeting in. But you know, things like that, just be able to recognize which data just looks really off. And and that just it comes with experience. Nobody's gonna have that day one, but after a year or two, just being able to look at the data and say, hey, these numbers look wrong, let's double check these. Um is great. So and as I said, the reason that programmatic is kind of a hot industry and why um there's always seems to be a shortage of programmatic people is that with search and with with Facebook Meta, you can go into those platforms with a hundred bucks and set up campaigns and figure it out on your own. You can do it for mom and pop shop, but with right. DB three hundred and sixty and and most platforms, there's a big barrier to entry. So right. if you're at home or you're working for a small company, you're never going to get to touch DB three hundred and sixty. It's not until you're working for a large agency or a big advertiser that you get to go into those platforms. So that knowledge is really restricted. There's a lot of barriers to entry. There's not a lot of um, schools out there that teach that kind of stuff. Like I don't think in, in Toronto where I am, I don't think anybody teaches DB360 as far as I know. Yeah. So I, mean, I come from like an advertising program and I'm like still involved with my university and programmatic trading is like on their radar. I was like, this is a thing that you could do and a career path that you could go down. But like in academia, it's like, it's not really taught, right? The, all these things yeah. are just kind of like learned on the job how to pull the levers, how to evaluate things, like what are the red flags to be looking for? So yeah, to your point, it's very restricted knowledge and like there's a lot of on the job learning. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, a lot of times it's easier just to find somebody who's who's smart, who's got the Excel knowledge and just train them on the rest um, rather than try to focus on somebody who's already got the programmatic knowledge because they're hard to find, honestly. They're hard to find for sure. Yeah. As we're wrapping up, I just want to go rapid fire with you on like, um, if there's any like programmatic, like myth busting you want to do, dumb things people say that you wish they wouldn't, like bad hot takes that you wish you could correct or like, or any like nuances or things that like aren't being said in the industry that you wish people were talking about more. I don't know if you have like your quick bullets or like- All right, I'll, I'll, give, I'll give you one rant that I have a lot. So- Connected TV, like at least in Canada, is is the hot thing. Everybody wants connected TV. It's just we got to get it. And the way it's sold, the, the way it's sold is to say, look what we can do in connected TV. We can target 18 to 24 people that like bicycles. We can do this. We can do that. We do all these great things. And advertisers get so excited about it. They're like, wow, that sounds amazing. Let's do that. Um, but every time you buy it, they come back and they say, well, guys, we can't scale with all this targeting you have. You guys need to get rid of all that targeting. And so you're buying connected TV with no targeting, oftentimes, replacing TV, which is generally half the price of connected TV. It just doesn't make any sense. Like We're buying connected TV all wrong. And right now, it's just, it's the hot thing that everybody's buying. And we're overlooking like other channels, like just standard pre-roll video that are just as effective in half the price. And it's just... It's gotten a little crazy that this this rush to connect to TV and connect TV has its place absolutely, but it has its place when you're using it smart, smartly, like where where you're going after 
people who are not seeing your ad on linear TV, where you're going after your cord cutters, where you're going after specific niche audiences, or you're going after a, a, a smaller geo that you can't target through TV. So I think that we're going a little too overboard with that TV. We need to kind of reel it back and realize that it, it doesn't need to be used for every campaign. Um, so that's my kind of take on that. Yeah, actually, I saw your LinkedIn post on on that this morning that like, look, guys, all these capabilities are available in some like really premium pre-roll. Like, yeah. It doesn't have to be in CTV. Yeah, I mean, we we hear that you know, similarly that like CTV is the hot thing and it's cool and it's sexy and it's like TV, but better. And, you know, whether it's Netflix adding an ad supported tier or, you know, any of like the free services, I think it's just, yeah, it's got a lot of hype around it has a place but it needs to be more like strategic and surgical versus like oh well let's just allocate 20 percent of our tv budget to connect to tv because exactly exactly so i i see that a lot and it's uh it's getting better but i i think you know marketers out there if there's you know if you're looking to buy and you can't find connect tv like there's a ton of good just regular pre-roll video out there that, that you can get for half the price which just makes sense Thanks so much for listening. Oh, and if you're looking for a better way to prove that your campaigns are working and find the best ways to optimize spend, we invented bimodal attribution so you can see exactly how ad spend turns into results and make more of your campaigns. You can learn more about PMA at mintmeasure.com. See you next time.